Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management LLC, and Luba Workers Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, we're at Commander's Palace in the Garden District. I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. There's no physical boundary around New Orleans, no passport or border control, and yet we remain so different in so many ways from the rest of the country. Have you ever thought about this? For example, of the hundreds of thousands of business people who come here for conventions and see Cafe Du Monde busy 24 hours a day, why has nobody gone home and opened a beignet business? The beignet, the po' boy, the muffaletta remain New Orleans-only icons. More recently, well, since 1914, we've added Ubig's pies to that list. Ubig's isn't what the rest of the country thinks of as a pie. It's a single-serving, deep-fried envelope of homemade pastry and pie filling sealed in a wax paper bag. And it's not sold in bakeries, but in all kinds of stores all over town. After Katrina, the return of Ubig's Pies was heralded as a milestone in our recovery. And so it was a community tragedy on July 27, 2012, when Ubig's factory burned down. The current high priest of the iconic Ubig's, co-owner and manager of daily operations, Drew Ramsey, is my lunch guest today. Drew, welcomed out to lunch. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Everybody loves this uh, product. I, when I was doing my research, I, I just found out that during Mardi Gras, if, if you were put into central lockup, they served you Ubig's pies. They did. You got a, you got a bologna sandwich and a, and a pie. Mike. And um, I couldn't really tell you when you were going to get out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd never been arrested, but you know, plenty of people on the staff have, and I will, I will check that out. That is, a, that is great. The, on the other end of our cultural food spectrum are products that are made almost everywhere but here. For example, tortillas. Tortillas account for 38% of the bread business in the United States. There are only three states who don't manufacture tortillas, Mississippi, Wyoming, and Louisiana. But now you can cross Louisiana off that list because my other guest out to lunch today is Rod Olson. He's the co-founder of Ola Nola Foods, and Rod was the CEO of Zapp's Potato Chips till he and Kevin Holden, calling themselves, and I love this, the Cajun Gringos, started up Ola Nola. Ola Nola makes fresh corn and flour tortillas. Rod Olson, welcome to Out to Lunch. Well, thank you for having us. I am excited, and you've brought some samples here, and uh, we've got the woman that's on your package. What is her name? Her name is Nola, and so the Ola Nola is hello. Oh, Nola. hello Nola! Yes, hello. But of course, that's New Orleans, Louisiana as well. So that's great. Like hello, hello New Orleans. We finally have tortillas. That is a and that her, is great. And her beautiful face actually comes from a catalog of advertising posters done in Mexico in the 30s and 40s. Really, we wanted a classic look. And again, we didn't want to pay any uh, royalties, so we had a composite made of several different pictures from that era when artists were in advertising. So she might be many women in one. 
Now, Drew, there are many moving parts to a bakery business, uh, from the procurement of supplies to a staff of specialized bakers, packaging, sales, a fleet of delivery trucks. Starting over is not just a matter of buying a new oven, flipping on a switch, and watching pies pop out, and hey, you're back in business. Uh, which part of the, <laughs> and I, I know you're going through a tough time here, what, what part of the recovery process are you up to now, Drew, and what are you spending your days doing? Oh, well, that's several questions in one. We, we are, um, it is a little bit more difficult than just buying an oven and flipping a switch. There are lots of rules and regulations. And I, I have to say that the, the city council, the city um, planning commission, the mayor's office, the state of Louisiana's economic development, everybody with whom we have had to go for an issue or a problem has been wonderful. We have a lot of support. Um, I'd like to take credit for that, but I, I honestly can't at all. We, we've been in business for the better part of 100 years, and I think that's just kind of what you get for doing the right thing and being a good corporate citizen for a century before you have to go and say, hey, can y'all help us? And, and that, that's working out well. We do have um, some issues with financing. We've come to realize that we were probably a little bit underinsured, but there were certain things that we really didn't expect to lose. Uh, we had some stainless steel and metal cooling carousels. We had a, a building that was built to be a bakery that the, the walls were not supposed to collapse. And after the fire, the, uh, the firemen drove a tractor in there and they pulled the walls down to stabilize them. They said it was a little uh, precarious. They rolled over our cooling carousel, which, which um, you know, it was this metal cooling carousel. That it, it was impervious to flood and fire, but it was not impervious to a tractor rolling over it. So, you know, then we had to <laughs> add that to the list of what we lost. And, um, you know, we did, have a, uh, we did have a fire suppression system. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say that uh, it did not work as we expected it to work. Uh, and there is litigation involved in that. And you know, we're here with um, with the Olanola guys, who used to be with Zaps. I mean, if if you ask anybody that ran a factory, what was in your factory on July 27th of last year? Where did you get it? What was it worth? What do you replace it with? You know, give me a value of it. Like, my God, you go over, there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of parts. And as soon as you find one, then you realize you had components for that. And, and you get challenged on it. And, and we have had a fairly less than direct path with our uh, insurance claims. Just silly things. We were, we were sending packets of expenses that we want reimbursement for to our insurance company. And one of them just got lost completely and we said you know what the heck's going on and it turned out that the office that we sent it to was on the eastern shore of new jersey and that building was whacked by hurricane sandy wow, wow, and yes. they you know and the, and the girl that answered the phone was like sir you have to understand they lost everything i'm like oh well. <laughs> 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 like, you know <laughs> sorry for your loss <laughs> So uh, you're cursed is really what it is, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> now, Drew, if, um, you, where are you going to get the equipment and everything? You have to re well, rebuy it, everything. We, we will have to rebuy everything. Um, we've gone to a few auctions. We've sniped some equipment. The company that makes pie-forming equipment is Colborn. And Colborn has been run by the same family for about a century, the, the Hoskins family. My grandfather dealt with Richard, and there was Rich, and I'm Rick, and I'm dealing with Rich the Fourth. And they contacted us after the fire, 
we know what you're going through. We got what you need. Let us know what you, um, when you want to take it. And the, our original pie making equipment, the pie machine that everybody was familiar with, the little turnover, fried glaze turnover, burnt badly. And we tried to rehabilitate it. We have it actually in a warehouse in New Orleans East and we were thinking about rehabilitating it. The Hoskins said, we can duplicate exactly what it is, but our, the head, the cutting head that made our pie what our pie is, we crawled into the rubble to try and save that. So we would have the same one and it was in bad shape. The heat had gotten to it, it had melted a little bit, it, something had fallen on it and it was kind of cracked. So we were very upset that you know, perhaps the next generation of pies might be different. And a metallurgist, we reached out to a metallurgist who said, don't you worry, you know, we have some pies in the deep freeze and we are going to reverse engineer an identical uh, cutting head for the new machine. We'll have a new machine, but we'll have an identical you know, antique cutting head on it. it it's gonna be a fair, fairly large expense. Some people might say that it's an unnecessarily fairly large expense, but it's gonna be, the, the next pie is gonna be like the last pie. Wow. And as many details as humanly possible. This, so, is, a, this is a science experiment. This is going to well. be great. They, uh, <laughs> I now, let me ask you about the, the tortillas and such. Where, um, now, I can get them in restaurants now in New Orleans, some, or can I? Or yeah, is there it, are a few restaurants serving our was products. A, That's uh, Macho Nachos. Not, uh, Nacho Nachos Mama's and, on Clearview, uh, Juan's Flying Burrito. Okay. Right over here on Magazine right, right. Street. And I just delivered this morning to the Rum House. Oh, okay. So, the, on a restaurant side of the business, you know, they're protecting their recipe, their meals, their composition. So, they're very demanding. And we're doing, I didn't know how many sizes of tortillas you had to make, or the yep. thickness, or the texture. And they have um, different requirements? Different yeah, they have different requirements. In the well, where were they getting them before you guys came on? Before the Cajun gringos well, came? Well, they, where they, were they? They import them from Texas. That's oh. the country out there. Yes, to I've the West. heard about that. It's yes. when you take I 10. Yeah, you hit that. <laughs> they, uh, wow. But, but uh, as far as the retail, um, in New Orleans, we set Zapardos this morning, where all of the Rouses, both in Jefferson Parish and in Orleans Parish, are set with Olinola racks most commonly toward the bakery. Um, and in Baton Rouge, we have most of the small chains already. The LeBlancs, the High Neighbors, uh, Calandros and such. Wow, you are making some inroads. So I would say by the end of October, we're gonna be in the realm of 60 to 70 grocery stores and we should be in about 20 restaurants. And then go ahead and open one in Mississippi and Wyoming and just uh can well, control I mean, the rest we, of the, we, we decided against Wyoming. No one lives there, and Mississippi <laughs> is close enough. <laughs> it's time to check our inbox. That's when our producer picks a question that's coming from a listener. Uh, Grant, what have you got? Peter, we've got a question for each of our guests today. Rod, this one is for you from Hilary Toulier, who asks, what seems like it's sort of a dopey question, but actually is quite interesting. Can we expect purple, green, and gold tortillas for Mardi Gras season? And what oh. would you suggest we fill them with? The, um, Where? It's easy with flour tortillas to add color to the dough. And in fact, at Kuko's on the West Bank, they're serving for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Pink ones? Pink, 
wow. uh, fajitas for your steak fajitas. So, you so know, there's that's no stopping unique. you, really. Yeah. There's a and we also are doing pre-cut chips, which are fried by the restaurants, and we do those in multiple colors. We've got purple and gold for LSU. We're planning for a purple, green, and gold, but because of uh, a non-compete relationship with us, we won't have fried chips in the stores. Oh, okay for at least another year and a half. And you were throwing warm tortillas off, off Mardi Gras floats, so that was a plan you had once. Did you get to do that? No, no, no. Okay, no, all right, no, I'm ready. No, that, that's... I'm ready for that, by the way. Okay. Uh, okay. We want to figure out how to package them. <laughs> Here's a question for you from Anton Jonas. Actually, it's two questions. One is, why is sweet potato a seasonal pie? And secondly, is Hubix pronounced Hubix with a hard H and K, or is the H silent as in the French H, and the G as a hard consonant sound. I've heard it both ways. Well, uh, the second question um, depends on which neighborhood you're from in <laughs> New Orleans. But it's Hubies, Hubigs, Hubig, and uh, you know, it, anything you want it to be. But we, we say Hubigs. The man was Simon Hubig. The first part of the question, the, the sweet potatoes, it's pretty simple. We, we don't use anything out of a can. We don't call food suppliers are us and get a can of sweet potato pie filling. We make our pie filling and sweet potatoes are in fact a seasonal crop and we buy them from the farmers and mostly from the western side of Louisiana. We buy local whenever possible, almost on a religious basis. We find that to be very um, of great investment. We find it pays back with dividends. And like I told you earlier, that's kind of what's happening to us now where all of our suppliers are staying in touch with us and, and we will not have trouble reaching out to our local suppliers to get back into business when we do get back into business. But the, the sweet potato farmers on the western half of the state, there's kind of a co-op, you know, and we call them up and tell them what we need. Peck, they of, literally pick them out of the field. They deliver them in a pickup truck. Uh, if it's a particularly wet, muddy, rainy weekend, they might not be able to get them out on Monday morning. They might delay them. I mean, there, there would be day week. There would be a day when we were making sweet potato that we would have to not make sweet potato on a certain day because the the fellow might have got stuck in I-10 traffic coming through <laughs> Geismer or something, or they couldn't get them out of the field. But um, you know, we we buy them from local farmers, we boil them up ourselves, we peel them ourselves, we turn them into a sweet potato pie, and when the crop dries up, it's over. <laughs> now, there's, there's a few exceptions to that. I mean, there, there are no local pineapple plantations in southern Louisiana. Right, so I've if not you, seen any. No. If you want a pineapple pie, we, we do, in fact, uh, have to import that. Um, but by and large, local is, local is what we do. So that's, that is great. Now, now it's time to do our pay it forward segment. That's where we ask our guests to generously use their experience and expertise to help an entrepreneur with a new business. And today's new business is shoplocalstyle.com. Shoplocalstyle.com was founded as an answer to the growing problem retail shops have competing with online deal-a-day giants who offer cut price deals on almost anything you could ever want. Uh, founder Sarah Winston has had stores on Magazine Street and says that shop owners are struggling to stay open while national chains have their eyes set on their now valuable New Orleans real estate. ShopLocalStyle.com has 50 local retailers on the site, and by putting them in one central online location gives the advantages 
uh, of exposing their unique boutique products to shoppers around the world. Sarah's question to you guys is, uh, Drew and Rod, is about growing her company beyond New Orleans. Sarah asks, now that someone in Utah can discover a store in New Orleans, we'd like to grow so that someone in New Orleans can discover a store in Utah. Uh, what would you recommend as the first step to a expansion into these uh, other markets? Well, su success begets success. And often that's the formation of a business has taken an idea from one location where it's been successful and transplanting it to another. So if she's been very successful here, you know, she should be able from retail associations, but it's got to be something unique. You know, I think Magazine Streak is unique in all the world. I wouldn't go to suburban Minnesota to look for style or avant-garde fashions or right. that snowshoes, yes. <laughs> you know, so, but that success, you've got to find people in similar situations and say, look, look what I have done. But you've got to find that key contact and often that's a challenge. In the, in the Zaps world, as we grew from local to regional to national, that happened by finding people at trade shows or people looking for something different to have in their store. So most of the Zap sales out of the market were in gourmet shops or boutique sandwich shops, not mainstream. So she's got a good kernel of an idea, but she's got to make it really successful here so it stands strong here, and then people will actually come to her. And that's the best customer to get, someone that asks you, not you hustling them. I remember with yours, whenever anyone would come to Mardi Gras to stay at my house, they would end up with uh, that 1-800-HUT-CHIP. Mm -hmm. You know, you could call and uh, once they got hooked on, on Zaps. What, what, do you, what do you think, uh, Drew? Well, I, I don't disagree with anything that he just said, um, although I do think you would look good in some lumberjack fashion from um, suburban... <laughs> Minnesota? Minnesota? Yeah. yeah, there's a... The, the, uh, and the, the Paul Bunyan Mall is probably available <laughs> oh, at the... the uh, I think she's doing the right thing. She, she does have the disadvantage of expanding her business beyond New Orleans because there are not a lot of places like New Orleans, which we might That's be saying point. something very similar. But there is this thing, it's called the Information Superhighway. And if is she has, yeah. Is that the I-10 I yes. hear about or is that something else? <laughs> if, if she can do it, and it's a good concept that I would expect it's scalable, I would expect that she could go beyond that. I don't know much about that at all. We, we are a nuts and bolts, brick and mortar bakery. We buy raw material, turn, you know, do a value added service to it and cook it, you know, sell it, market it at a fair profit and reinvest those dollars back into the local community and do it again. Um, we didn't really reinvent the wheel on a business model, and I don't know if a brick-and-mortar bakery guy would be the one to, to seek this kind of business advice from, except to say what I said earlier, and I nice little segue into it, we spend our dollars locally, and it pays back dividends. And if she can take that concept to wherever, I would think that the merchants wherever would, would jump on the opportunity to band together and have a local one-stop shop for whatever community or whatever niche they, they could offer. And I, think, I think it's a great idea. 
and she can show off what she's done in New Orleans. It's not yeah. like this is a, well, we, we will see. This is a, you guys were good to give my hand here. This is great. Now, Drew Ramsey, uh, Rod Olson, you're probably both Louisiana's most unconventional bakers. There's literally nothing quite like a Ubix pie, and there's nobody else in Louisiana making tortillas. Uh, Drew, as you know, the whole of New Orleans is rooting for you, and so are we, and so are the Cajun gringos, Kevin and Rod. Uh, uh, thank you, Drew. Thank you, Rod, for joining me on Out to Lunch today. I'm sure we'll see you both back here again, and we look forward to hearing continued good news uh, from both of you in the meantime. Thank you so much. This Thank is, you for having us. This is, uh, I think we come back in a year or two. I think we're going to have a good, good stories here. I'm looking forward to this. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Drew Ramsey, co-owner and manager of daily operations at Ubix Pies, and Rod Olson, co-founder of Ola Nola Foods. To find out more about Drew's pies, Rod's tortillas, and Sarah Winston's shop local style, Follow the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Uh, Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. The often misunderstood Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get this show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to the websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Eris studio monitors, and more. More information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at PreSonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting you again next week at Out to Lunch around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, and Luba Workers' Comp.